Welcome to Star Without. I'm your host, or one of your hosts, Darren Easley, and joining me, of course, is my co-host, Miss Christine. How are you, Christine? Doing great. How are you doing? I am behaving, and I will be honest that there are a lot of podcast episodes and a lot of interviews that you and I have done, and uh, for some reason, those didn't seem quite intimidating, but when you're interviewing the author of a book called Head Trash, that can immediately start to play with your mind, Christine, and so... I'll be honest, I had a little head trash coming into the preparation of this interview. I hope, I hope, <laughs> I hope we still you know, stand our ground and represent uh, properly. But uh, today's guest, of course, is Rini Cavallari. She's the author of the book Head Trash, which is brand new. It's the leading killer of human potential, and she helps others get rid of their head trash. She aids leaders in becoming more effective. She helps business owners grow their business. She does a lot of wonderful things. Uh, Rini, we are so excited that you're here with us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right. So we like to start out with some icebreakers. And one of the questions we enjoy asking our guests is, what is the best concert that you've been to? The best ever? Ooh. Best ever. Yeah. And well, it could be anything. Okay. Could be- oh, oh, my gosh. Well, I think the best one is probably the last one because, you know, it was the most fun that I can remember. But if I was to, you know, like the Rolling Stones, I mean, come on, that's Stones, you know, that's a great time. But I've also seen, you know, concerts with Herbie Mann, who's a jazz flautist, and I happen to play the flute. And and my first concert was David Bowie. Oh, and wow. so that might have been my best concert because it was just like, you know, your first concert. And I'm originally from Philly. So and it was at the Spectrum, which isn't even there anymore. So it, you know, I think I just aged myself by accident. So no, Rini, you did not. You you just got a lot of love and a lot of credit on this Philly show. The house. Christine is from West Philly, so yes, yes, Philly you know, in the house. No way. It's, it's nice to have a Philadelphia yes. connection finally. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we waited, we waited right, for this moment. We're gonna we're gonna have some fun today, girl. Yeah. All right, we gotta finish this sentence for you. The best thing about being a Florida State Seminole is blank. Oh, oh, best thing. Well, I went to college there when Bobby Bowden was still, you know, the coach and and just, you know, we just lost him. But, you know, uh, uh, the best thing was definitely an FSU football game, any football game. But then also the other good thing was I'm a, I, I'm a cap alpha theta. And so shout out to my theta girls. And so all my sorority life was great, you know, but maybe the best thing was definitely an FSU football game. If I got a zero in on it, Christine. Well, I, I love that you mentioned Bobby Bowden. Uh, I mean, he's uh, <laughs> a legend. I was fortunate to meet him when I was a teenager and he was just a super gentleman, a really amazingly kind person for someone that's as big and as successful as he was. So yeah, I'm really glad that you were able to mention him. It is uh, unfortunate that he passed recently, but um, uh, we're going to continue on here with finish this sentence. Uh, you've done so well with the first one. The next finish says, if you ever visit Phoenix, blank. If you ever visit Phoenix, well, since it's like a hundred and something today, I'd say short <laughs> sleeves are recommended. <laughs> don't don't come in August. <laughs> right. Yeah, don't come in August. That's exactly right. That's actually I'm, I'm going with your answer. We're playing Jared. I am going with Jared's answer. I, I, I have a little if you ever come to Phoenix, don't there. come. 
Yeah. Don't come in June, <laughs> July, August, and honestly, a piece of September. Though I have to tell you that that the Convention and Visitor Center of, of Arizona probably just cut me off. So. <laughs> oh no. Oh no no they they yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll we'll edit this yeah. uh, part of the episode. We'll, <laughs> yeah. We'll, 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 throw, we'll throw in an ad for them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much. You're right. You gotta love now, Arizona. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Now, you were uh, recently married in May. Congratulations. Uh, did you experience any head trash while planning your wedding, Rini? So that's a great question. I didn't have any time to experience head trash. We <laughs> decided because my family had all been vaccinated and it was the 1st of April and I hadn't seen my mama in 18 months. And it was like, hey, let's bring mom out from Philly and my sister from LA and my brother from Philly and all. And so all of a sudden we were getting everyone together and my husband literally said over a glass of red on April 1st, we should just get married on the 17th when everybody's out. And so I had 16 days from start to finish. I had no head trash because I didn't have time for head trash. I had to find a dress and, you know, we had a lot of work to do. You know, the thing is, you know, if what you focus on comes true, right? And so I was focused on making sure that the people that I loved had an amazing time and wasn't focused on, okay, this is like one of those forever moments. <laughs> like I didn't go there. <laughs> well, I saw some pictures on your uh, social media and w- was it an outdoor wedding? It was an outdoor wedding. Um, in Phoenix? Yeah. We, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, it was in April. It, it was okay, April, April on the okay, 17th. Right it was gorgeous. And okay. we live right on a lake at the Arizona Biltmore with the golf course. So mm-hmm. we just, we were so lucky because we could just, you know, get, we got married. It was small and we just got married looking over the lake and that was that. Good for you. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. All right. So, so we're going to make it easy uh, in this question. Uh, this is a true or false. And uh, Christine's going to throw you a statement and you just say like, Tell us true or false and maybe give us a, a short explanation on your answer. Okay. Uh, Rini, true or false, you were born to stand out. True. We all okay. are born to stand out. The fact that we're on the planet is a bloody miracle if you think about it statistically. And I just think people are born. Yeah, you're born to stand out and to contribute however you choose. Now, yeah. I find it interesting that you made a choice at one point. You turned down an opportunity to become the only female partner in the firm that you're working for. There are people that are listening that may not be familiar with your story. So why, why did you do that? And what did that decision lead you to create instead? Wow. So that was a few years ago, twenty six uh, over 26 years ago. I had an opportunity to become a partner in a firm. Um, and I, was, I, li- I loved the partners. I was grateful for the experience that had been opening doors for me while I had worked there that were unusual for women to be, you know, in the seat. And yet when they made me this offer, I came to realize that I didn't aspire to doing what I was going to be doing, which was, you know, leading all the operations of the organization and, you know, being the COO was never something that turned me on. It wasn't my thing. And I, I didn't love that work. And I literally asked for the weekend to think about it, came back and resigned and didn't really have a plan. And my background, my discipline is I'm a strategist. I always have a plan. And so it was kind of comical that, you know, here I was and, you know, people are saying, well, what are you going to do? And we had a really beautiful transition and 
they took their time replacing me with three people. And <laughs> then I decided, you know what? I want to do the things I love to do with people I love to do it with. And that's how Aspire was born. Powered by Aspire, really, we are still doing things that we love. And I think that's when you're really open to growth. And, you know, when you're not doing things you, you know, that you love, it really becomes a lot of work. And we all hear that, but how can you design things so that they're very aligned with your purpose and aligned with what turns you on? Man, that is living. You've been uh, quoted for saying, uh, with clarity comes courage. What does that mean to you? Can you explain? Well, I think when we're unclear, we become apprehensive, right? So, you know, if we're even, even if it's a simple thing, but yet alone, big decisions. So we have to work to clarity because when we have clarity, we're on the connected side of our emotional brain. So we have this emotional brain. We have a physical brain that, you know, is functional, but we have an emotional brain that's actually running your show. And so there's two sides to your emotional brain, the connected side and the disconnected side. The disconnected side is where the head trash lives and fear and worry and anxiety. And we actually don't breathe the same way. And we, we have all, all kinds of imprints in our life that didn't serve us. They're those nasty negative voices. And then we have the connected side and that's where joy is. And that's where uh, when you're looking to find things that really that you want to do and you have solutions to problems, you see the problem lives on the disconnected side, the solution lives on the connected side. And in the book, we try and help people understand that you must find ways to live your life in the connected side of your emotional brain. So getting back to your question, clarity lives on the, on the connected side of your emotional brain. And that's where action lives. So when we have clarity, we take productive action. When we have productive action, then we start to gain momentum towards things that we want. And so we naturally, courage just comes to the forefront because with clarity, we then can say, this is what I need to do. Even if we're not completely certain, we can start to move towards things. But when we have a noisy head, it's hard for us to have courage because we're not sure. And all that noise sucks our energy and sucks our courage. Uh, quick follow-up to that. If someone is experiencing all that noise, uh, what are ways to lessen the noise? Well, that's a, that's a, a fantastic question, Jared, because that's the whole game right there. So I, I really, we look at it as there's two important approaches to get getting and living in the connected side of your emotional brain. And I'm the first to tell you, that you don't spend your whole life in the connected side. I certainly don't. I have head trash just like everybody else. But there's certain things that you can do that are proactive in nature and then things that you can do that are reactive. So let me start with proactive. And in the book, I, I literally, we did a survey and we had a, a, over a thousand people and we got feedback on what were the things that helped decrease their emotional stress? Because when your emotional stress is low, you're in the connected side of your emotional brain. And so proactively, that's why like meditation, breath work, journaling, uh, for some people, it's working out. Other people, it's running. Uh, Christine, we're from Philly. We only run if someone's chasing us, right? No running. <laughs> well, Not for well, me. Well, much I, that, yeah. Running throws me in the disconnected side of my emotional brain. Some people, it's hiking, right? It, so it, it could be gardening. There, 
we identified there were 29 things, quite honestly, there were well over 100 answers to this question, but the majority kind of fell into this group. And these are the proactive habits that you put in your life that allow you to start your day on the connected side of your emotional brain. So if you get up in the morning, which I was doing, um, you know, we all do this at times, and I had this run of it last summer where I would get up and I would watch the news and I would look at Facebook and like, you know, it wasn't even seven o'clock in the morning and I was annoyed with life. Oh, no. Because things are triggering you to go into the disconnected side of your emotional brain, right? The politics or the upsets that were happening or what are we doing about this issue or that issue? Hey, we're stressful. Well, stress lives in the disconnected side of your emotional brain. So if we can start our day and find, take a look at our life and say, what are the habits that serve me and put me in the connected side of my emotional brain? Then we can practice those and we can start to eliminate the things that put us in the disconnected side. Because when you're in the disconnected side, that's when you can't sleep or you have restlessness or you can't focus. So if we can do things that, and for everyone, it's a little different, but there's some things in that book that maybe will touch you and you don't have to do all of them. My goodness, you'd never get anything done, but find the two that really serve you. Like this morning, I get up, I do my meditation, I journal because I go into gratitude right away. And then I go for, I went for a power walk this morning, got up and made, you know, got my blood moving and just started working through, you know, actually I talked to my mom and then I listened to music and worked through my day and that was it. And it was just this complete going into the connected side. Okay. That's the proactive. Would you like to talk about the what happens when it hits the fan and you're in the disconnected side of the emotional brain? Well, we actually had a question coming up about that, but uh, you know, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I don't want to hold back. Uh, yeah, yeah. You want to enlighten us? Yeah, sure. So on the when when you're in this reactive side, you know, it's happening. You're in the disconnected side of your emotional brain. And really, there's three steps that you need to understand to get out of that. So the first step is to own it. We have to identify like, oh my gosh, you know, what am I doing? And most of us know because we like it feels uncomfortable, we're unhappy, we're angry, we're reacting, whatever it is. So you own it. And the most important thing to get over to that other side of your brain where your solutions and your peace live is to look at the questions that you're asking. So there's Two questions that you're, that can be, you know, happening in your brain. And some questions, I call them the stuck questions. They keep you stuck in that story, right? They're, they're not helpful questions. Like, why is this happening? Or, you know, we'll never recover from this or what went wrong here. These are questions that keep us in the problem or the issue that we're up against. So those questions would be types of questions that would keep you up at night. On the other hand, there are shift questions. So when we shift it, we're creating a like a forward productive momentum. These questions empower us and give us better ideas and therefore solutions. So instead, we might think about a question like, what's the first thing I can do to improve the situation? Or what do I want to do right now? Or what matters most to me? I like this one question, like when I feel like, you know, in judgment and kind of angry or, you know, I have something that I want to say, I got my Philly on, let's say, Christine, I ask the question of who do I want to be right now? 
And if you think about that question, if you're really uptight and you ask yourself that question, by the nature of the question, it decreases your emotional stress. And that allows you to shift and therefore get into productive action. And that productive action is in the connected side of your emotional brain. Okay, now, given the context that you just shared, how can the work that an individual is doing now be a light for their future? Well, I think first and foremost is, you know, does your light, what is it that you want in your forward future? A lot of us are kind of moving through and with so much chaos right now, we're not really taking time to say, well, what is it that I want? We need to, honestly, it's as simple as map your goals. What is it that you want in the next three months, six months, year? What is it you want in your, you know, your life? There's also the great exercise of the dash, right? What will people say about you, you know, at your passing? And so first we have to understand that because that's the light will lead us to that. But if we don't know where we're going, the light is all over the place. So that's the first thing is to understand what is it that you want? And then when we have that, then we can break it into little bite sizes so that we can start doing things that align with that. And this is where those habits come back in, Christine, where when, you know, are you, are your habits aligned with where you want to go or are they holding you back? And so it really isn't as tricky as it sounds in terms of having what you want in your life and, and living to your full potential. Really, it's about what's the journey you're taking and being mindful and present of where you are at this time and how you're living so that you can continue to move towards what you want versus kind of just being out there like a, you know, a sail that's not tied down and has no direction. You know, the boat will keep moving. The sailboat will keep moving. It just, who knows where it's going to go. And that might be okay because that might be for you the right journey. But for others where you have certain goals or aspirations, what you want next, you really have to step back, be in the connected side, map out your plan. What are you doing? How will you get there? Who do you know that can help you? What can you learn? What are the habits you need to change? And through all of that, you will start to move. The last thing I want to say on that question is, what is it that you're really celebrating along the way? You know, I have to tell you, you know, head trash. The book, it was my sixth book. And, you know, to be writing Head Trash before the pandemic and then all of a sudden the pandemic happens, I needed to stop writing and, and work with our clients and, you know, really dig in and then to come back and then continue writing. It's like, well, what is it? What's the real purpose of sharing this book? And what is the real, what's the soul here? And I think that when we are grounded in why we are doing the things we are doing, and we understand what they're providing us, that why, what it provides us, then we can really flourish. Can you share some examples of the habits? Well, yeah, they were some of the things I already mentioned, like how you get up in the morning and what are the things that you're doing, right? You know, to get your day started. And, you know, how are they serving you? But some habits are, you know, for me, you know, I organize today so that tomorrow is in chaos, right? So before I close up today or my Sunday, everybody knows on my team, you know, I regroup on Sunday. So my week is planned out. It's a habit that decreases emotional stress for me. And I think that's how you want to look at habits. Some habits serve you, some habits don't. And it's not for me to judge which habits serve you 
or don't serve you. It's for me to judge my own. So if a habit isn't serving you, in other words, it's not giving you the joy you want in your life because ultimately success equals joy, right? That's really, you know, people say, well, it's money or I want this car. I want that. Well, it's what those things (laughs) bring you. Well, if they bring you happiness and they bring you ultimately joy, then go for it. And that's the beauty of, you know, our, our being is that it doesn't, we get to define what joy is for ourselves. But, you know, some habits, you know, if you were drinking too much, you watch too much TV that's, you know, of this kind or, or that, right. you know, maybe you're a gamer and you're spending, you know, three hours a day on gaming. And, um, that's a lot of it. You're wor- <laughs> yeah. Christine we're cannot that's relate okay. to that at all. That's so. three hours. Sorry. Sorry. You know what? I have friends. I have friends who are in gaming and they it stimulates their mind and it makes them creative and they find joy in it. So that's a great habit for them, right? Because in the end, if it's serving you, then it's a habit to keep. But if it's not serving you, it's a habit that needs redoing. That makes sense. Does that make sense? Like, you know, yeah, actually absolutely. it doesn't just that need redoing. Sense. It needs replacement. Bad habits should be replaced with something else. And there's so much research on habits that, they really come down to like, what is your motivational factor on, on shifting a habit that isn't serving you? All right. So uh, <laughs> this question may be yeah. <laughs> on the disconnected side that you mentioned, but in uh, 2020, your company lost $1.4 million in five days amongst other challenges, pandemic and, and other things. How were you able to follow a resilience plan in the midst of such a difficult situation? Well, first of all, as I said, I, you know, my background, I'm a strategist. And so a strategist looks at problems and moves into planning, right? How do we leverage this opportunity or what are the opportunities? What do we need to do, you know, and in this case to survive and help our clients survive. So I think that that's kind of the mindset when you're, you know, at the foundation of being a strategist. But the other thing is that, you know, I've been in business for 26 years and and, uh, you have some experience of when the universe is talking to you, listen. And it was clear in early March to us that, you know, it was going to be an unknown road. And so we literally sat down and the beauty of creating a resilience plan or any plan is that it gives you clarity. So going back to Christine's question of earlier, you know, well, clarity gives you courage. Well, we had to make as, and we coach, I coach a lot of C's, had to make really courageous decisions. So just making a decision, you know, when you have clarity around it, it gets easier to do. It still might have broken your heart to make the decision or to have to lay people off. It certainly did me. But mm-hmm. when you have clarity, you can move. You have clarity gives you agility. Clarity gives you focus. Clarity gives you alignment with others. And it also gives you courage. And so we worked into, it was a four, there were four elements to our resilience plan. You know, one was obvious that we had to cut costs that we were probably should have cut before, but we definitely right. had to cut costs. What were the revenues and the, and the clients? We looked at our clients in two ways. Okay. What clients still need us? We had a lot in senior living. They were really in need of us. What revenue sources could we put out there that would help our own company? And how else, you know, what were the strategies that we needed to um, be focused on for our clients? So that was like kind of the revenue bucket. And then the, Third bucket was operational efficiencies. And, you know, I would tell you these buckets should be like permanent buckets, but this is what we considered in our resilience plan 
And that third one was operational efficiencies. You know, where are the things where we're wasting? You know, I can't tell you how many memberships we had where we, you know, we had a membership, you know, we had 40 users, but we only had 20 people using it. You know, it's like mind boggling. For us, in some ways, it was sloppiness, right? We were sloppy. We had to clean up a little bit in our operational efficiencies. And the fourth, which was as important as all, was what we call the give, the give strategy. And the give strategy was who are we going to help? And so for us, when you, for all human beings, actually, when you give, you you live in gratitude because there is an exchange that occurs. It's not about someone recognizing you're giving, you know? So right now, you know, we always have a give strategy, but during that time, myself and others in our firm, we did 80, I think it was 82, 82 or 86 free speeches on navigating the chaos. So we were on Zoom for all of our clients all over the world, talking to as many people as we could and providing a platform for them to understand that leadership is the only way out of this mess that we're in. And so we have to rise. And what are the elements that you will need to be a great leader? And so we donated, you know, 86 or 82, I can't remember exactly. And then we also donated over 500 executive coaching hours to, in particular, the hospitality industry, which represents 40% of our business. I grew up in the hospitality industry and the hospitality industry was just, it's just been in an endless tornado, hurricane and earthquake all in one that doesn't seem to let up. And so our give allowed us you know, to all of us to feel good about contributing to the welfare of others. And when we do that, it puts us all, even in chaos, in the connected side of our emotional brain. And that's where people can really rise when they are, you know, leading from that side. So that was what happened with that. I bet you didn't think it was going to be that long. Are you guys still awake over there? Yeah. (laughs) That's a great story. Now, yeah, we had, hey, listen, it was a rough week. I got to tell you, you know, (laughs) you know, it's not like, yeah, I, it was a rough week. Like when I said I stopped writing, I stopped writing. Mm. (laughs) You're like, how are we going to fix this? Let's go give 82 speeches. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for (laughs) well, we gave 82 speeches for free. So it wasn't actually cost more because we had to upgrade. We had to upgrade our Zoom because we had 500 people and 600 people joining in. Mm-hmm. And it, like all of a sudden we were crashing out all the time. So it actually cost us money. And who cares? Because if you're doing <laughs> the right thing for the right reasons, it always you always navigate the way. Ed, Christine, you should know this mm-hmm. being from Philly, that there is a soul about what we do. And when we do it in good faith, our impact is, you know, a huge ripple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Now you've said that networking is the is the best marketing. Can you share an example of how networking has helped you? Uh, COVID, <laughs> the company stayed alive. We have been blessed with over a ninety percent retention of our clients year over year for well for twenty six years. This is our twenty sixth year. COVID, by the way, was our twenty fifth year. Happy anniversary! And uh, <laughs> it was a rough anniversary, but. So I would tell you that we strive and our single focus on a weekly basis is, you know, how are our clients doing? How is our relationship with them? I ask clients all the time on a scale of one to five, 
How are we doing for you? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that our results may show that we're up 12% or we're down. It doesn't. What matters is how are people feeling in terms of being engaged with you? Are you delivering on your promises? As a company, we really don't have a sales. I, sometimes, you know, I really think we need one. But our focus has always been retain and then expand the account and referrals. And, you know, and referrals have been a major part of our growth. I mean, a major part of our growth. All our big clients have come through someone else and all of our clients make us better. You know, I was talking to actually David Kong yesterday. He's the CEO of Best Western International. And we have worked together for years and years and years. And we were talking exactly about that, you know, because David's going to be retiring at the end of this year. And I was saying, you know, you always pushed us. And that is the best kind of client relationship because when you're both getting better together, come on. Heck, that's called marriage too, isn't it? Better together. (laughs) I wouldn't know. I'm I'm, I'm picturing April outdoors on the lake. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, Randy, on a scale of one to five, how are our interview questions so far? No, I love your question. I've 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 had a handful of podcasts. And I, I, you know, I, I'm well over a hundred, uh, like between interviews and podcasts, et cetera, things on the book. And I love that your questions are not, they're, they're about how are we living? And I think that to me is really, you know, people ask me, what, what is this book about? And it's about how do you live with in more joy? And I yeah. feel like that's a, a real critical mission in my own life for myself and for the people around me that I love. and for the people I work, you know, in the world with, and that's all of us. So yeah, mm-hmm. I love your questions on a scale of one to five. I'd give it a six. Aww, <laughs> thank you. I, I do think Christine did feel it kind nice. of helps. Yeah, that- <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> you know, you know, speaking of uh, compassion and kindness that plays into this next question, would you be willing to tell us a story from your experience about how showing compassion and kindness has been beneficial? Well, I'll tell you about an organization, you know, part of Aspire's philanthropic work. It's called the Be Kind People Project. We're so committed to it. Our COO, JC Thompson, is on the board. They just moved into a building that I own because they were in need. And this organization is, it touches my heart. They go into schools, elementary schools in particular, and they have all these great, talented kids that are coming out of college that are artists of some kind. They're dancers and singers, et cetera. And they teach kindness to children through, you know, every kind of music and song. And and they help children learn that kindness is the way to go. And they even put these things called buddy benches. I want one. The buddy bench sits on the playground. And when someone is feeling sad and, you know, think about it in these developmental years, you know, when you really are trying to figure out how to fit in, heck, you know, most of us are still trying to find out I need one of these buddy benches <laughs> so I can, oh, when I'm feeling like I, I need a friend. And that's what it is. You sit on the buddy bench and they've been taught, they've been educated to when someone is sitting on the buddy bench, they just need a friend. Mm -hmm. And they want to be included or something is going on. And how can you reach? 
And so to me, the Be Kind People Project, which is in Arizona, but it's also gone into other states now. I just, everything they do and the people that do it, you know, you can't teach kindness and be in this organization and not be a compassionate person. Like you just can't. I believe that most of us are compassionate. We just, you know, compassion to me is when we're not living in judgment. We're not judgmental about it, like towards another person or situation. We're trying to find unity in it. And so when I'm in judgment of another person, I'm always at my worst. My listening skills suck. I'm not, you know, open to ideas because I'm in judgment. I'm, I'm, there's a wall there. So when I'm in compassion, I'm open. And this is what I love about this organization. And I work on compassion all the time because, you know, it's really easy to be in judgment, especially when the world has so much anger all over the place right now. I don't know if you guys feel it, but it's certainly prevalent for me. And and it's a heavy, it creates a heaviness in the air. And so, you know, I always just try and stay out of judgment. And how can I help here? Who can I be? And at this moment, who do I want to be? And that helps shift me. I don't always do it. I didn't say, I didn't give you an example of my kindness. I gave you an example of what a great organization is doing. I think kindness for me is coaching people. That's been my life's work. You know, awakening the potential of people is like, talk about a great gift in my life. Let the record reflect that you always have an open seat on the buddy bench for Christine and I. Um, Yeah. Awesome. Isn't that cool though, what they're doing? (laughs) I want to actually want to reach out to them and see if they'll be on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Oh, so. well, you know what? I'll make it easy for you. I yeah. will hook you up with JC and we'll get the founder and you'll love her. She's amazing. And she's that. done some big stuff in her career. I'll let her speak to that. But yes, well, any, I, yeah. Not, not to get on a tangent, Rini, but my, my daughter the other day, we had a parent teacher's meeting before school started and she met some of the other students in her class and noticed there was a lot of new girls. And she said, wouldn't it be fun if I could have, if me and my friend could have a play date so that all the new girls could meet all the girls that are already here and they would feel included. And I was like, that's a really wonderful idea. And so mm-hmm. we didn't plan a play date, but we got with one, a couple of the parents and we planned an ice cream social on Friday after school and invited all the, all the fifth grade girls in all the classes and their parents and so they came and the new group it was to welcome the new girls and that was an idea that my daughter had it's not quite the buddy bench like you're describing but that was inspired by an act of kindness or you know just my daughter saying hey there's new students and they don't know anyone and this would be a way you know for them to interact and get to know us and uh so we did it and it was a hit it was a, a wonderful thing it went really well and i could spiral off of that and tell you the other things that happened from that. But, you know, I was, that, that's an example of, of, of my 10-year-old daughter just, you know, thinking that way, uh, which I'm really proud of her for. So, yeah. As you should be, because that is beautiful. You know, thoughtfulness, which is what she did. And I say thoughtfulness, like F-U-L-L, thoughtfulness mm-hmm. is, you know, she, like that's such a, a unique gift for a fifth grader. And so, you know, kudos to you, you, you're doing it right. And because also, you know, I, I can tell you, you know, my daughter had, you know, some bullying in her high school years and it was just devastating. Um, And, you know, and it really is all bullying is just about fear. The the fear of not being good enough for someone being better than me and how Mm -hmm. will I fit in and what will I do in it? And this is at least at the school level. 
And of course, you know, bullying can also be something that you learn from other people or you're doing because you feel safest by doing it. But when we have that, it limit it puts people in the disconnected side of their emotional brain. Nothing good happens on that side of your emotional brain. Nothing. Now, Rini, where can listeners pick up uh, their copy of your new book, Head Trash, and connect where you, with you online? Well, you can um, pick up a book, of course, on Amazon. You can also go to myheadtrash.com. And at myheadtrash.com, you sign up. There's a VIP. You can sign up through the VIP and you can get the book there. It'll still go through Amazon. But the reason you want the VIP is we put all kinds of tools and resources for people to help them as they navigate their head trash. We don't sell the list. We don't do anything. There's no nothing about the list. It's got shenanigans. You know, it's more just here are resources for you. For me personally, you can reach me at Rini, which is R-E-N as a Nancy, I-E, at poweredbyaspire.com. That's the name of my firm, poweredbyaspire.com. And um, any questions or anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about, send it my way. Uh, Rini, you're very gracious. Yeah, I hope people will check that out. They'll go to uh, myheadtrash.com and then they can go access the VIP package is what you're encouraging them to do. Yeah, well, there you get all kinds of additional resources. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we'd love you to buy the book. And even if you don't buy the book, there's resources there. Because my mission is to help people find more joy and really awaken their potential. And so we strive. That's where I'm at. Wonderful. Uh, We always close out with final thoughts. Uh, Rainy, you've been very generous. Do you have any last parting words for us? Oh, well, I guess my words would be thank you so much for having me and making it so fun to hang with the two of you and making it interesting for me and hopefully your listeners as well. And, and, uh, you know, dump your head trash and you'll find more joy in your life. And unfortunately, you know, the thing about trash is it comes, you know, the pickup happens every like, you know, Friday at my house. And so you have to stay on it because it's not like it's one and done, you know, just we have trash and we got to learn how to navigate. Well, we really appreciate that. And, uh, <laughs> And yeah, it's, it's nice for uh, Christine to be convicted about her gaming as well. So yes, yeah, so. I'm personally, I'm personally attack now. Thank you. Your gaming is productive. It's helping. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, heck, I have friends who have huge gaming companies. That's all they do. When they hear this podcast, they're going to be on my butt saying, "What the heck are you talking about?" So, yeah, yes. I, I'm in trouble on that one. So, <laughs> no judgment here, Christine. <laughs> and, and we've got like the Phoenix uh, uh, travel industry. The travel We've got to send out some uh, tweets. I'll give back. You're going to be doing 82 free speeches here if we don't stop. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, Rini, thank you so much. Best wishes with the book and with everything. And uh, we're grateful. Thank you.